folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with Chad Graff of The Athletic. What is up, Chad? Doing well. Happy to be here on this Monday after the season ended. Always uh, a fun, crazy day. And hey, uh, you know, a good day to sort of reflect on everything that went wrong. Okay, before that, with COVID ruining everything, like normally this would be the time to kind of deconstruct the season, take a week with that, and then go on a vacation or you know, just kind of relax. Um, I feel like that really isn't even an option to go on a vacation or to do anything or to kind of, I mean, the best I could do is I've got some things around the house that need to be done and then maybe they'll be addressed, but I think we just keep plowing through the off season here. Vacation has actually turned into just uh, getting rid of your to-do list, maybe working on a, a project around the house, something that, um, you know, at least in my case, my wife's on Pinterest and now has this great idea of how it's going to look. And then I'll botch the whole thing and it'll just come <laughs> out way worse. So that's what I'll be doing for most of January and probably all of February. Did you uh, learn any new skills or pick up any new hobbies since uh, COVID has happened? Because I feel like I am mostly in a uh, like low security prison. Like I'm allowed <laughs> to go to Panda Express across the street or Target, but that's pretty much it. Um, so I've, I've taught my wife how to play chess and um, I beat Mario Golf on N64. Like there's just a lot of sort of silly things that have gone on because there's nothing else to do. I got halfway decent at Madden, I think 18. I've been too cheap to buy the new version. Uh, and I'm still on like the previous Xbox, I think. And when I first started, I didn't, I hadn't played video games since I was in college. And I was just getting destroyed by these like 12 year olds who were talking all sorts of trash to me. I think I had one stat line with Patrick Mahomes, no less of being like four for 14 with six interceptions. <laughs> and, uh, and now I can hold my own against the 12 year olds on a two year old version of Madden. So that's, that's the extent of my productivity over the last six or seven months. Is that the one with Brady on the front? So I, it's, 
video games have passed me by by so much that it no longer has like the cover that you open the disc you <laughs> okay. just it just loads right up so i have no idea i think oh, it has okay. maybe wrong right. i don't know what it has yeah 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 okay because i couldn't remember which one because i have the one with brady on the front that i think is madden 18 and the amount of interceptions like if you make any yes. bad throw they pick it off every single time like they don't drop interceptions there's no such thing as a pbu it's just like picked off so things every- have changed since we were in college Right. I mean, you could make mistakes on the old Maddens. Um, Of course, it wasn't quite as realistic, but that's a whole nother podcast about how Madden has just not really changed for the better. But we can hit that in June. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the Vikings. And I want to play a game with you. Uh, It's called What's Up With This Guy? So I'm going to mention a guy and then you tell me what's up with that guy. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the offseason that way. And I, I want to start out with Mike Zimmer, because as we're recording this, uh, Anthony Lynn just got fired after a seven and nine season in which his team lost close games with a rookie quarterback. And yet, uh, and just a couple of years ago, they went 12 and four, a very similar situation to the Minnesota Vikings, except for the rookie quarterback, of course. But to me, that would have been a reason to keep Anthony Lynn. The Chargers decide to go a different direction. Uh, What's up with that guy, Mike Zimmer? Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Is he going to be on the hot seat going forward? Is he locked into his job going forward? What is your feeling on what's up with that guy? I think for what's up with Mike Zimmer, I think he probably returns. I think they probably return everybody. Rick Spielman returns, Mike Zimmer returns, Kirk Cousins returns, and it all comes down to what happens next season. If they make the playoffs, run it back again. If they don't make the playoffs, that's when things, I think, um, you know, become, that seat becomes very hot if he misses the playoffs two years in a row after embarking on this half-assed rebuild. And um, I know you and Courtney got into this a little bit yesterday after the game on Sunday when he talked about you know, seven and nine being the best that they could do. But here's what really bothered me with those comments. Both Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman built this team where it was going to be a very top-heavy team. They knew from the beginning they were spending a lot of money on starters, and that is a fine strategy if you stay healthy. Last season, they, for the most part, stayed pretty healthy. They went to the playoffs. They won a playoff game. That can be an effective strategy if everything goes your way. However, The flip side of that, and this is something that they openly talked about in recent years, when that is your strategy, if you have injuries, you are going to need to rely on um, rookies. You're going to need to rely on veterans just signed off waivers like Chris Jones and Hardy Nickerson and Todd Davis. Um, Those are the guys that are going to get significant playing time when you allocate so much of your salary cap to your starters. Um, and, And so to then come out and be like, well, we had injuries, so of course we were screwed. Well, No, you built your roster in such fashion that uh, all of your money was to these good players. And and as long as they stayed healthy, you were going to be fine. Um, I I don't necessarily fault the strategy. I think that it can pay off. But when you choose that strategy, I don't think you can then throw your hands up in the air when it doesn't go well. and Well, we had all these injuries. You know, who could survive this? Uh, Our our depth, you know, what are you going to do with your backup linebacker? Well, other teams pay a little bit more money. Other teams allocate more to the defensive line so that if your best player has a season-ending injury, um, you're not relying on a combination of Jalen Holmes and DJ Wanham to uh, provide your pass rush. So I, I don't you know, necessarily fault him for the fact that they went seven and nine with all of these injuries. What more bothers me is to then be like, this is the best we possibly could have done. You know, What a travesty. That's the way you built your roster. You chose this path. 
you made this bed. Now you got to sleep in it. The other part of it too, is most of the players that you were playing were drafted by you and you hung your hat on developing Daniil Hunter for all this time and <laughs> developing Everson Griffin from a really good player to a great player and uh, elevating Linval Joseph and all these other things that you sort of pointed to. And then when it comes to this group of players, and I'm not saying that they're responsible for Jaleel Johnson being terrible at football and the same thing with um, someone like Jalen Holmes, like not being able to succeed in the NFL is probably just, they never had the talent to begin with, but you also didn't identify that and move on from them earlier. You stuck with them and you developed them and you believed in them. Jalen Holmes and Jaleel Johnson showed nothing, absolutely <laughs> nothing, never, not a single game that I can ever think of before this year. And then suddenly it was supposed to flip the magic switch and they didn't move on from those guys. They didn't replace those guys. And that's coaching evaluation too, of saying, no, 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 we can coach them up. And it's not getting a veteran corner and saying Holton Hill is the starter. Like the thing about anytime you go seven and nine is unless it's your quarterback who goes down, there's always a lot of fingers that can be pointed. And that's what didn't really sit all that well with me was now wait, now, which is it? Are you, Hey, we're really close. We only lost by one to the Titans. Hey, we're really close. We almost beat Seattle or there was nothing I could do. Well, which one is it? And I think that's my issue. And I guess here's now my question as a follow-up is how do you read into why Mike Zimmer said that? Because it was unprompted. He kind of went on a big thing about, I love how we fought this year, which I think is a fine message. I've got no problem with that. And I actually agree overall with Mike Zimmer that he didn't have the talent to have a good defense, that the front office did not put that on the field, but unprompted, he says it was the best I could do was seven and nine with all the things that went wrong. Why do you think he said that? It was not only unprompted, but right at the very end before he's about to sign off. And I think that probably made it clear that he had not before Sunday gotten a message from the Wilfs, from the ownership group that said, you are 100% coming back. We know that you only have six wins right now going into this Lions game. Whatever happens, it's been a crazy year. The, the injuries, COVID, everything that's happened. Um, you're still our guy. We have your back 100%. And so I think he thinks he's going to be back. We think he's going to be back. It would be a surprise if they fired him. And yet I think he probably just wanted to make sure that uh, he got the message out to ownership. Like think about all that I had to put up with. I yeah. had all of these rookie cornerbacks and all of this inexperience on the defense. And then I didn't get OTAs. And then I didn't get mini camp. I had no chance to teach this before training camp. You know, frankly, let's, let's talk about how great of a job I did that this lasted as long as it did. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but it lasted basically all the way until Eric Kendricks got hurt. And that was sort of the final straw in that defense before it all completely unraveled because there were some signs of progress. Zimmer switched a lot of what he did on defense. There are some reasons to walk away from this thinking, you know, Zimmer hasn't forgotten how to coach. I think that's fair to say. Um, right. But at the same time, the fact that it came unprompted at the very end also tells you, while I think he's pretty sure that ownership wants him back while he's pretty confident in his standing. There was at least a small part of him that wanted to say to ownership, you know, Hey, that was the best we could have done. Don't fire me. Right. Yeah. Don't fire me was part of it, of my interpretation, but also there's only so many ways you can kind of point the finger at front out for the front office for not drafting or finding guys who are depth players. Because when you go across the defensive line, all guys they drafted, these were not, 
street free agents. I mean, these were players that they believed in. Even someone like Hercules Mata'afa. I mean, this is a guy they stuck with for several years and then thought, oh, let's throw him in and, and he'll play. And I guess that is the world you have to live in when your quarterback makes so much money and you spend on everyone when you just throw your money around recklessly at running backs and linebackers and these sorts of things and safeties on a franchise tag. How about Anthony Harris paying off this year? I mean, $11 million in cap space is what a veteran corner, a veteran edge rusher, a guard who knows what he's doing. I mean, like, right. It's just, and yet you thought that it was the right way to go to franchise tag Anthony Harris. I get it. I know why you did that. He was coming off a great year. Um, but at the same time, it was that stuck in the middle element that you're talking about and where it just, I, what I keep coming back to is it must be for some other reason than saying that it was the best you could really do. It must be more of a message because it doesn't really add up. Like there's a lot of regrets here. And even when we talked to players, they talked about having a lot of regrets for this season, the close games, or whether it was just, you know, somebody didn't do their job on special teams or a missed field goal or whatever. Like there's always things that you could go back and say, we could have done better. And you know what I was thinking about before I move on from this and we don't spend 40 minutes ranting about it. <laughs> Last night, the football team ends up in the playoffs with a seven and nine record. Their first round pick quarterback went not only bust, but like mega bust, uh, you know, explosion bust. They're playing a guy who hasn't played for two years and who literally has a contraption on his leg to make sure he can stand up properly. He can't play anymore. They have one offensive weapon and they're seven and nine. Does that sound as bad as the Vikings are? I mean, like that sounds much worse to me. That sounds much worse than where the Vikings are with their quarterback healthy, two superstar receivers, Pro Bowl running back, uh, pro, you know, Pro Bowl tight end, two multiple or three multiple tight ends who can play, two tackles who were full, like, fully healthy the whole year. Storm Norton was playing for, for the no. Chargers, by the way. <laughs> like this is a thing when you hear that like, oh, there's nothing we could have done. Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill were great this year. Storm Norton, a guy cut by the Vikings on their practice squad, was starting for the Chargers this year. Every team had things go wrong. So anyway, all right, all right, move on, move on, move on. What's up with this guy, Gary Kubiak, who kind of hinted that he might not come back next year? He didn't say it, not far enough for me to say, uh, you know, sources are saying it's Gary. Um, <laughs> what do you think? What's up with that guy? What's up with that guy is I have no idea. I think you know, based on talking to him, he's talked about part of the reason he wanted to come back to coaching was to pass on his beloved scheme that's won him Super Bowls and been so successful for him, which I always thought was a little bit interesting since his beloved scheme has basically been adapted by some of the best coaches in the NFL. It's already being utilized in San Francisco and Los Angeles to um, a good amount of success. I, I, when I read between the lines on some of that, to me, it means I, I want my son to know the scheme. I want to set him up to be an offensive coordinator. And then eventually if he wants to be a head coach. Uh, so to me, I, I think, and th this is just a guess, I will stress. Um, but I think part of it is he wants to set his son up to follow him. His son, Clint Kubiak has been the quarterbacks coach, uh, Kirk cousins, you know, after a very, very, very poor start to the season did rebound to put up, I think he finished with 8.2 yards per attempt, which would be his best uh, since joining Minnesota. So I don't know if Gary Kubiak comes back. I think a lot of it comes down to my guess is he's going to be trying to figure out if Quint Kubiak would be the guy if Gary Kubiak retired. Remember, a lot of the offensive staff are 
people who have been around Gary Kubiak for a long time, people like Rick Dennison, who have followed him from stop to stop. Um, these are people who came to Minnesota, not because of Kevin Stefanski or Mike Zimmer, but because of Gary Kubiak. If Gary Kubiak senses all of these people that followed me here are going to be safe, they're going to keep their jobs. In the case of my son, there's going to be a promotion. I could very well see him stepping back. I don't know if it would be a full retire, but I could see him stepping back into sort of an offensive advisor role, advising his son, similar to how he advised Kevin Stefanski. Uh, but if he goes into these year-end meetings with Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer and, you know, expresses some of these thoughts and they say, you know, we're going to conduct a wide open search. We're going to go find somebody else. We're going to go sort of the, not to bring this up, but the Dave Filippo route. Then I think he might say, you know what, actually second thoughts. I, I do want to be here. I, I am going to stick around. But if they say, yeah, if you'll stick around in an advisor role, we'll promote your son. We'll keep Rick Dennison and the guys who have followed you here. It, it would not shock me if Gary Kubiak is not calling the plays for the Vikings next season. I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. There are many great designs. Someone on Twitter recently sent their John Randall shirt, and there's the Can't Stop the Thielen hats, the Tecmo Bowl throwback shirt, and much more. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. You Use the code Purple Insider for free shipping. That's S O T A S T I C K dot com. Soda Stick, original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. One thing I thought about was how exhausted Gary looked every time we talked to him. I mean, this is a guy who had some health issues when he was in Houston. And I think that was maybe part of the concern about even just him staying uh, as, or coming here as an offensive coordinator, rather than hiring Kevin Stefanski in 2019. And one of the reasons maybe he came as an offensive advisor was to lighten the load on Gary Kubiak. And this year he had to carry it all as the offensive coordinator. And for a guy who's been through as much as he's been through with his body, uh, I wonder if by the end of the season, he was feeling like, I don't know if I have the energy for this anymore. I mean, Gary's been around a long time and he's been doing the 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. grind or whatever the crazy coaches do, you know, year after year after year after year. And I wonder if, the minute you step away from this, this is like, um, you know, skating, like uh, in hockey is <laughs> if you, if you skate all winter long, by the end, you're like, put the skates on, get me out there, you know, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Right. Uh, then you take a year off from that. You put them on. You're like, Oh my God, my back hurts. My feet hurt. Like, I wonder if walk for a week, right? Yeah. I wonder if the minute you step away from that grind, when you come back, it hits you harder than it would have before. And I agree with you about Clint Kubiak, that it just kind of adds up. Uh, we don't know a ton about Clint Kubiak. It's harder to talk to these people when we're only privy to zoom calls this year, but um, I, that makes a lot of sense. And I really do think that the Kubiak system, it works and it's great. And the play action stuff is fantastic. The run scheme is tremendous. You get about as much running success as you're ever going to get. It's just when it comes to the innovation along with that, that's maybe what was lacking. And of course the run pass ratio. I mean, you can look at some other teams that have similar run pass ratios, but they usually have winning records. Um, you're playing from ahead. You're trying to close out games as opposed to the Vikings who are playing from behind a lot. 
I think that uh, 60% of Kirk Cousins yards came from behind this year rather than tied or playing ahead. And that's, uh, that's unusual to have um, unless you have a terrible quarterback, which, you know, they don't. So um, I think that, you know, if that were the case, if they were to stay with this system and update it and update the run pass ratio and kind of tweak the slider on Madden more toward uh, pass as, as opposed to run that this works for a lot of people. I think that there's just some changes that they need to make. It's already a good offense. And to your point, I think it's very small things that you can tweak or change to make it a great offense. Like this was an offense that was around number 10, 11, and most of the important statistics with just a few tweaks. If you stop running it every time you're on second and short or second and long, you're instantly going to get a lot better. And one of the other, so basically you do that. I think you can jump a couple of spots because you're just throwing away free opportunities when it's second and short, you know, that you can probably convert on third and short. If your second and short run doesn't work out, take a shot. You've got two of the best wide receivers, throw it up to them, give them a chance. Um, second and long, just don't run done. We've immediately jumped up a couple of spots. And then the other area is there isn't to your point, uh, the innovation that you see with San Francisco and Los Angeles and some of these other teams that use some of the base philosophies that Gary Kubiak does and you know a lot of these um, wide zone teams do. If you just update that a little bit, I think there's no reason that this offense with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook, there's no reason that it can't be a top six, seven offense in the league. Like, you know, we know that they're not going to be the chiefs, but there's also no reason that they can't be number five, number six, number seven, somewhere in there. And I don't think it would actually take that much just because of the pieces they already have, because um, a lot of the scheme is already implemented. Just tweak a few things. I don't know if that would be Gary either studying some of the numbers this off season or Quint bringing a fresh perspective. Uh, but I don't think they're that far off from being a very good offense. Okay. So I was just looking this up the other day. I'm going to pull it back up because I wonder if this is a Gary thing or if this is a Mike thing, because I was looking at Gary's coaching history and a couple of seasons really popped out to me. Uh, Gary does not always just hand off the ball all the time. 2009 Houston Texans team were fourth in pass attempts in the NFL that season. And they went nine and seven. So that was not like a losing team that was right. just throwing from behind all the time. They had the 10th best offense in the NFL and Matt Schaub, I think, let me see here. Matt Schaub had a really good year. Yeah. Matt Schaub threw for 4,700 yards that season <laughs> and had a higher QBR than Kirk cousins this year. So um, not rating, but the ESPN stat, but that's so, so they like Matt Schaub and throwing the ball, in 2009, Houston was really driving their offensive success. They didn't have a Delvin cook, but that was with Gary in charge. And I, and I look at his history and some of his teams are more run heavy, um, but usually it's because they were winning teams and they're playing from ahead. But I think when you have one of those could go either way teams, Gary was at times in his career with a quarterback. Who's not number one in the league leaning toward the pass. So this is where I wonder who's in charge of that run pass ratio. That's a very good point and something that could negate everything that I just said about sure them could. being a few <laughs> tweaks away from being very good. On the other hand, if Gary Kubiak was the guy pushing for 
you know, more passes and more play action. And he's the reason that they reached this ceiling of being number 10, 11. And if somebody succeeds him who does not have Super Bowl rings and can ignore Mike Zimmer a little bit more, then I think there's also a chance that the offense can drop to 15, 16, 17 range. Okay. I have more guys on this, but now I'm like to ask you about, but I'm discovering other like kind of crazy stats about this. Like this year was the second lowest that Kubiak has ever ranked in pass attempts. And again, they were playing from behind a lot. That, right. that, I mean, that means they were allergic to passing almost compared to the rest of the league. 27th, only one time did his team rank lower. And one time uh, in Denver in 2003, when they went 10 and six with a similar run pass ratio, that was what Jake Plummer. Yeah. Jake Plummer, Danny Cannell, Steve Berline, and Jarius Jackson started at quarterback that year and they rested on, I believe Clinton Portis. So, I mean, that really kind of says something to me that I'm not sure that this is even the way that Gary wants to do it like all in on the running. And I remember when Pat Shermer talked to us in 2018, after he had become the giants head coach, or maybe it was 2019 must've been last year. And he said like, yeah, well, Mike loves to run the ball. I mean, just kind of implying that, yeah, I mean, it's the head coach who's determining that. So anyway, let me, let me move, move forth with this. Um, why don't we just play the hits here and ask about Kirk Cousins? What's up with that guy? Because uh, you know, what's interesting is how our brains don't calibrate. If you're not looking at them all the time, how the statistics change in the NFL. Kirk Cousins this year, 105 quarterback rating. I mean, that would have led the league like 10 years ago. That's eighth this year. And by PFF, 10th. I think that's about right. I think this was the most Kirk Cousins-y year that will ever Kirk Cousins. And it kind of, let me just use a cliche from them. It, it is what it is. Like that, that is your Kirk Cousins season. That's probably how it's going to go. And I think that there's a very, very, very low chance that they move on or that they draft a first round quarterback or that they do anything because it's going to be all about how can we build the defense around Kirk? Wait, you think, say that one more time. You think there's not a good chance they draft a quarterback? I I say there's not. I say there's a very, very low chance that they're going to focus entirely on rebuilding the defense. Agreed. I, for a second, I, I discombobulated because I thought you said said we're going to draft a, no. uh, So I completely agree. I think, this is, I mean, look, this is part of why they brought Kirk Cousins here. They moved on from Case Keenum because he was volatile. His highs were going to be incredibly high, but his lows, as we've seen since he moved on from the Vikings, were also going to be pretty low. They brought Kirk Cousins in because he's stable. He's always going to be, you know, this quarterback that you wish could do a little bit more to jump into that next tier, but also, you know, never really does enough to or isn't bad enough that you're going to only win five or games or four games. He's not going to completely tank and get you out of it, but that's part of why they brought him here. They, they thought that the defense was going to be good enough. Just give us somebody stable who can year in and year out, put together uh, a season that would rank like 10th in the NFL. That is why he's here. It is just that it's hard to carry over a good defense year to year. It's much easier when you have an elite level quarterback to um, cycle through consistent offensive seasons and so you brought in this guy to be consistently number 10 well that doesn't work when your defense is terrible and you can't really fix your defense with free agents when your quarterback is occupying so much cap space so uh, I think that their move to bring in Kirk Cousins was probably the right move considering what the 2017 defense was capable of and if you thought that defense was going to come year in and year out if you have Kirk Cousins in the 2017 defense you should be at least in the NFC championship game The problem is uh, even with a coach as good as Mike Zimmer, 
you need so many things to repeat a number one defense. We saw the Bears had trouble with it. Every team basically has trouble with it since the Ravens in, um, you know, whatever year when they had their dynasty and maybe the Seahawks when yeah. they had the Legion of Boom. But it's so incredibly difficult to repeat that performance. So now you're left with a quarterback who you can say had maybe the 10th best season this season. We'll probably have the 10th best season next season. And yet you need a top five offense or top five defense to pair with that. And the Vikings just simply are, I think, quite a ways from having a top five defense. Yeah. And there's bold ways to go about this position. There's conservative ways to go about it. And I feel like they go all the way to the conservative side of let's just make sure we know what we have and uh, let's not try to do anything that would sort of upset the apple cart or anything that could get us fired, right? Anything that if we don't get good quarterback play, I mean, you've got to be thinking as like Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, if we don't get good quarterback play, we're done. It's over. Like if you have one year of bad quarterback play, you're all fired. And so you want to keep, what like what you know coming back like you said he'll be 10th next year he'll be 10th in rating he'll be 10th in uh you know pff grade like every single year that's kind of where he's going to be and i guess there i'm sure there's a, a major split between fans who say well it's not really kirk's fault and those people wouldn't be wrong and then there are people who say yeah but if you're going to build a strong enough roster you have to have the quarterback on the rookie contract and hey you know i guess we're using the buffalo bills as a model to talk about now they can't trade for Stefan Diggs if Josh Allen is making all that money. And I would also say to uh, my friends in Buffalo, you better do it this year because guess what comes next? The big quarterback contract, the degrading of the roster after that, and it gets a lot tougher. So, you know, I, that's where I think a lot of people would look at it and say, you know what, it's worth the risk to move on because you get that cap space and his contract is not friendly for the next couple of years. So, but that's uh it's just like the never ending cousins debate where I just kind of like go, this is what we're, this is kind of like where we're stuck and it's not going to change. And so it is what it is. Well, and it's incredibly hard. I think just looking forward real quickly, if the Vikings make the playoffs next year, Rick Spielman comes back, Mike Zimmer comes back, Kirk Cousins probably comes back. You're not going to uh -huh. draft a quarterback in the first round. If yep. your last one just led you to the playoffs. And then if you don't make the playoffs, then everybody's out. So it's just hard to envision Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman in a scenario where they're picking the next quarterback, unless this is three years down the line and they've gone playoffs, playoffs, and now Cousins is showing signs of age. Barring that, I think it's either the next coach picking the next quarterback or Kirk Cousins has done enough. They're in the playoffs and he's going to be back again. So I, I don't, I'll be surprised if Mike Zimmer is drafting in the first round uh, a quarterback for the Vikings. The only addendum I would make to the, it is what it is statement uh, with cousins is if they were to push some more chips to the middle of the table on what you were talking about with that run pass ratio and what they put around Kirk and putting their assets into that. Um, and maybe you get a 2016 Matt Ryan outlier season where he's incredible for the whole year. But again, another thing that's hard to see, let's uh, let's just kind of bounce through a couple of them here. Uh, Daniil Hunter. What's up with that guy? Oh my gosh. Who, who knows what's <laughs> right. up? With that guy? Who knows? It's just incredible to me that the, the week to Ian Rappaport from NFL network obviously happened from Danil Hunter's camp. Um, just to rehash it very quickly after it was announced that Danil Hunter was undergoing season ending surgery. They put out Danil Hunter either wants to be the highest paid defensive player in the NFL, or he wants to be traded from the Vikings. 
uh, you might say, as did I at the time, what an odd time to play your leverage card. Your guy is just about to have season ending surgery. He's under contract for three more years. Why on earth would this be the time to flex and be like, no, 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 he's going to be the highest paid player, trade him. Uh, but on the other hand, I think the ensuing 16 games have showed what other option do the Vikings have? Uh, I, I, they don't have a good option, in my opinion. It's the same thing with Anthony Barr. Maybe we'll get to him. You don't really have a good option. Like, Danelle Hunter is coming off of season-ending surgery, and he still has leverage because of how bad your defensive line was. He, Your defensive line, I can't remember how many sacks they ended up accounting for, but the active players by the end had something like 12 or 13 sacks. Uh, Danelle Hunter gets more than that in a single season. So even though he's coming off of this incredibly – difficult surgery, a surgery that Zach Parisi had with the Minnesota Wild and then came back and said, I could barely walk, had to miss time the ensuing season. Not a simple, you know, shoulder surgery that you rehab and you forget about forever, a very significant surgery. And yet he may still have tons of leverage because the Vikings defensive line is just so, so bad. I think it ties into the, there was nothing we could do uh, better comment from Zimmer where he's almost nudging. You better find a way to bring back Daniel Hunter. And I have always wondered about this. You tell me if you feel the same way that Mike Zimmer's pushing for certain things on the roster has been in a way detrimental to them making savvy moves. I won't say that you know, Delvin cook didn't have a great year or whatever. And at the current price for this year, it was fine for, I mean, if, if not great for Delvin cook production versus money, but that's going to get worse. And the same thing with uh, Anthony Barr. Yep. the first year of his contract was like, Oh, he's like $5 million cap hit pro bowl player. Like he's good. That's fine. But next year it's 15 million. And I feel like over the last few years, Zimmer has pushed hard to, Hey, don't make the savvy move, make the move that keeps my guy in place. Cause I need him. I need him. I need him. And that was fine when you thought you were a Super Bowl caliber team. I don't know if that's fine now to be constantly saying, you know, we really didn't get any sacks because of Daniel Hunter. Did you know we didn't get sacks because of Daniel Hunter being out? You better keep Daniel Hunter. That's kind of what I hear every time it gets said. Anthony Barr is the perfect example, I think, of I think a front office that would have said, look, we would have loved to have the guy back. He's a very good linebacker, but we're not going to pay upwards of 14, 15, 16 million dollars against the cap for this guy when we can just draft another one. Linebackers aren't as important as cornerbacks and defensive ends. We're going to allocate this money elsewhere. And yet Mike Zimmer says, this is the first guy I drafted. I love this player. We cannot move on without this player. If he's going to give us a two or three million dollar discount versus what he would have taken with New York, sign up now. What are we doing? We have to sign him. So, and now they're in this position where, you know, not to jump ahead on, on your game, but what's up with this guy, uh, <laughs> Anthony Barr. Yeah. I, I don't Let's know do what it. you do there either because yeah. uh, Eric Wilson put up some stats and you know, the baseline numbers are fine. He got some sacks though. I would argue a lot of those were because of Mike Zimmer's schemes. He got some interceptions and you know, fine. He's a good coverage linebacker. He cannot tackle. He is so bad against the runs. Yes. Uh, yes. there's just such a significant gap between him and Anthony Barr. Uh, Good for him for getting paid. I assume he'll get paid this off season. I don't think the Vikings should be the one to pay him. And if you don't, what do you do with Anthony Barr? Like, sure. You'd love to, the cap's going to go down. You got to get cap compliant. That's one area you might look at. And yet I, I also don't know that you can cut Anthony Barr just because what happens to your linebacker situation. It's another one similar to no Hunter where I don't really think there's a great answer. If you bring him back, 
good your team gets better but you're also not really helping your cap situation and so i don't think you can call it a win and yet if you cut him that doesn't really feel like a win either um based on you know what you're going to start troy die now so right, I, right. I don't know what the what's up with anthony Barr. i have no idea what's up with troy die looking like a long snapper <laughs> out there i mean i've never seen a guy who looked so out of position despite like that's his position. No, he's a linebacker, but why does he wear the sleeves and no gloves and like the pads that look like he should be long snapping? It does not make sense, but that's a, again, that maybe we'll talk about that more in depth in June. That's but, a different uh, what's up with this yeah, guy. Well, what's up with this guy for like how they dress is definitely right. a thing that journalists should be criticizing is how people <laughs> dress. Um, anyway, so to your point with Anthony Barr, it doesn't have to be Anthony Barr versus Eric Wilson though. Because uh, I think Eric Wilson could be a really good player on a defense that has a ridiculously good defensive line. Just mm-hmm. go, just make the tackles when the guy comes to you. Just uh, you know, intercept passes, cover people. I think he's good at that stuff. But he is one of the worst run-stopping linebackers I have ever seen. I mean, gaps that are exactly where you're supposed to be, and you're like right there, and the guy just runs by you. <laughs> I mean, Adrian Peterson's what forty-yard run. Eric Wilson just runs up, and Adrian Peterson just runs right by him. <laughs> like, come on, man, you're a linebacker. That's not really supposed to happen. You're not a safety or a corner. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, uh, Mike Zimmer will watch that on tape and say, no way, no way I can bring that back. Cause the run stopping the run is extremely important to Mike Zimmer. And, you know, I think honestly for his scheme, it is important to be able to set up those second and longs, third and longs where you can send the blitzes and stuff like that. Um, but you know, Michael Pierce is not going to make Eric Wilson a great run stuffer. <laughs> so, uh, the way I look at it is they'll just bring back Anthony Barr. They'll translate this money to that money and try to lower his cap hit. And they'll just kind of keep doing the same things. I mean, this is, this is sort of the theme of the, the Vikings is let's just kind of keep doing what we've been doing. Because, Kick the can down the road. Right. Because we'll, it works we'll that other time. Right. It, it worked in 2017 to run most of the time and throw every once in a while with Case Keenum. Case Keenum wasn't really making any money and neither was anybody on that team. Diggs wasn't making money. Hunter wasn't making money. Um, so they were able to build a strong roster, but then once they had to pay guys, the philosophy didn't change. Um, but a lot of other things change. So uh, I think that that mostly addresses the what's up with this guy, um, Anthony Barr. How about what's up with this guy, cornerbacks? Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, right? Like, because I end the season not sure about what's going to happen there. Mike Hughes was hurt again. Um, Dantzler was hurt three times. Gladney ranks in the bottom 10 in terms of passer rating on throws into his uh, coverage. Like, what's up with that guy, cornerbacks? What's up with these guys? I think Dantzler offers the most promise. I think he was the one who, yes, he had some just horrific plays that you would never expect an NFL player to make, like essentially losing them the game in Seattle. That was basically all on Cameron Dantzler, at least at the end. Um, But he also had other moments where you could see, you know, hey, there's something to this kid. If he puts this together, he can be, you know, as close to a number one corner as the Vikings have on the roster. Uh, everywhere else. So, so I think you can pretty confidently put him in pen. He's a starter next season on the outside. Everywhere else, I think you have some issues because I think you probably want Gladney inside playing the slot. He is a much better tackler than he is in coverage. You hope the coverage will improve. It's got to improve if he's going to be playing against 11 personnel all the time. Uh, but you like his tackling ability in there. And so that's a plus. However, if you have him in the slot, what do you do with Hughes. I mean, 
this is a guy that you drafted in the first round to return punts, never really did, to be a very good nickel corner. He was for like that one game when he got an interception, I think in his debut or something like that before the injury. And then things have just unraveled since then, hasn't put it together. I'd be shocked if they picked up his fifth year option. Don't think that's really a realistic option. Probably won't resign after next season, but you need somebody else. Like you can't just yeah. roll in with those three and Chris Boyd and Harrison hand and be like, problem solved. We did it. Uh, everybody's going to get five times better because we have OTAs. Um, that's not exactly how it works. So I don't know if that's via the draft that you get better. I would probably prefer that not to be the option. You have a lot of needs elsewhere. You have investments for the future with Gladney and Dantzler. Um, this might be a time to sign somebody if you can't basically anybody that you sign in free agency is going to be better than Chris Jones. Um, so hopefully you improve there, but you don't back to the point. You don't, you are already the team closer than anybody to the salary cap. The salary cap's going down. You have tough decisions to make with Barr, And, you know, I don't think Anthony Harris is that tough of a decision, but a decision there, Riley Reef, like they're already tough decisions. I don't know that you can really pencil in spending $8 million on a cornerback. So you kind of have to better hope and believe that Gladney is going to get a lot better in coverage, that Dantzler is going to stay healthy and continue to get better and hope that Mike Hughes, I guess, stays healthy and can be competent. Otherwise, I don't really know how it gets dramatically better next season. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive a personal cover. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge for an initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that wants to grow, Hustle is an open door leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box to find out more that's bwhustle.com slash join and that's where with the defense uh courtney made the point on the last episode of just like how far away you are it's not as simple as getting one or two players back it's you have multiple positions on the defensive line to address you have uh potentially a linebacker issue to address you have uh, at least another corner or two that are necessary and a safety position that's open. And maybe the biggest issue, and I'll just make this a very broad one that we can finish on is what's up with that guy. Anybody with potential pick <laughs> a guy, if you've got one, I mean, it, it's, that's the thing about this team is that, you know, that first time through they had started that rebuild that Zimmer took over really in like 2013, um, 2012, those drafts. And then they go forward with them and they're able to hit on a lot of those players from those drafts. Even someone like Trey Waynes turns out to be a uh, healthy starter for a very long time. Rhodes is a star. Barr is a very good player. I mean, on and on down the list. And when you look at 
how they are now, the bones of the team and, and who's going to kind of take those, those next roles in a way that Anthony Harris did from Andrew Sandejo, those guys are harder to find. So what's up with that? This guy or that guy or any guy would be the way to finish it. It's interesting to look at just the last two drafts because I think that they haven't been bad drafts. And yet when you look at anybody with potential, you look at last year's draft, Garrett Bradbury, the best you can say is that he improved and might be close to average, even though he's still a very below uh, pass protection guy. Irv Smith is a guy who, you know, flashes potential. You think often when he catches the ball, boy, they should get it to him more often. And yet, um, I, I don't know. I don't envisioning him becoming a, a, a top five tight end or anything. They, they use a third round pick on Alexander Madison from that draft. Drew Samia followed in that draft. Like uh, the, the 2019 draft is just eh, to me. I, I don't really see anybody from that who you take away and be like, wow, he's, he's got a lot of potential. He could be really good. And then you hope you, obviously you got, um, I don't know if I want to say lucky, but you hit on Justin Jefferson. Yeah. He's way better than you thought he would be that turned out amazing. But beyond that, like Jeff Gladney, yeah, there's potential. He's got improved in coverage. Cameron Dantzler has potential, but I, I, I don't know. Even if you get everybody that you can realistically hope for on the defense, which means getting to know Hunter back, which means Michael Pierce comes back and hasn't lost a step, which means getting Anthony Barr back your secondary. It's hard for me to say your secondary is going to get better because of a second year with, Dantzler and a second year with Gladney after losing Anthony Harris, who had some issues, but probably is a better player than whoever is going to be your starting safety. So I, I don't know. I, it just is hard for me to see how the back end of the defense improves, which is a scary thought considering how the back end of the defense played. What it comes down to in when you miss on drafts is how do you replace those guys with free agents um, and this team really decided, as you mentioned, to put all of its eggs in the basket of a couple of players rather than spreading some of that out um, and just deciding that certain things weren't going to work out. And I think when we get to the end of this conversation, which has been great and I really loved it, um, what we end up with is if you lean into your strength, you've got a shot and you got to lean hard. And, and I want to point to the Titans on this or the Browns on this as teams who run similar offenses and had similarly bad defenses this year, but were able to overcome them lean into Justin Jefferson and uh, you know, Kirk Cousins sort of implying that Jefferson was being impatient at times this year, same Justin, like <laughs> over here, buddy, I, like you're not going to get any disagreement from uh, any of us on the impatience uh, when it comes to leaning into, you have an unstoppable player. You have an unstoppable other receiver too, and other players to work with on this team can you improve the pass protection enough? Can you add a weapon that isn't Chad Beebe as your number three, who is fast maybe and can make plays and be and, and be a top five offense? Because I think in that case, you're in the playoffs and you're a legitimate contender, even if you're only the 20th best defense next year. And that requires, however, leading into your strengths, which as you mentioned with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thewin and Kirk Cousins uh, means throwing the ball more. And I don't know that your head coach is going to want to lean into that strength and might prefer instead to say, look at Dalvin Cook. He's really good. Lean into that strength instead. And that is where I wonder if, I, can we go schism? Let's just call it a schism. Let's just say there is a schism and I'm kidding here between the front office and the, uh, and the head coach, but 
if I were in the front office, I would be saying, Mike, I think we've got to lean into what we can do well here because there's too many things to fix on the other side. And you know that Mike Zimmer is saying, fix my damn defense. <laughs> yes. So it, so fr from that perspective, Jed, this off season will be super fascinating to see which direction they decide to go. Do they lean into the strength? Do they try to fill all the weaknesses or do they shock us and trade up for Justin Fields or something? I, I think that everything is on the table for this off season. It'll be an interesting offseason and then a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating season because I think suddenly everybody's jobs are on the line next season from the quarterback to the coach to the GM. And uh, we'll see how it goes. If, if they stay healthy, I do think that they can get back to the playoffs next year. But that requires a few things that we've talked about, staying healthy, which is a bit out of your control, and also leaning into your strengths and improving the offense enough to get into that higher tier of five, six, seven in the league. And um, that is far from a given. Chad Graff, follow him on Twitter at Chad Graff and uh, The Athletic. Look for articles written by Chad Graff. And uh, your contributions to the show this year from training camp, really from the time that we launched all the way through, have been tremendous. You do great work. And uh, next year, hopefully, we're you know back to normal, back in the locker room hanging out as opposed to only seeing each other on Zoom. So thanks so much for everything you've done for me uh, this year, Chad. Thanks for having me. And next year, we'll do it in a, a little tiny closet at the TCO Performance <laughs> yes, Facility. Exactly. Thank <laughs> you.